You're listening to Helping Those with DID, a podcast of Lydia Discipleship Ministries. Thank you for your desire to gain more understanding of how to best help those with dissociative issues. You can visit our website at www.lydiadm.org. And now let's listen in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to look at the idea of church, specifically for those who have um, been wounded and maybe coming for counseling and are hesitant in some way to go to church. Um, We're going to talk about whether or not that really matters and some of the barriers that we might face in that or those that are healing might face. So hello, Elaine, and welcome. Hi, Lindy. I'm glad that we're talking about this topic. This one matters a lot to you, and I happen to know it has been a part of your life. Tell us, start us out there, if you would. Well, for me, the role of the church was really significant. The Lord led me to a very small church. They had about 80 to 100 people, but they were very caring, and they were very understanding of even my bizarre behavior during that period of my healing. So a church community was really significant as part of my team. Um, and that, that idea of team is really foundational to Lydia Discipleship Ministries when we're looking at a healing model. Tell me a bit more about that idea of team first, just to lay that out. Well, I think that part of what happens when you have a heart for hurting people is you wear yourself out. Because number one, when such in, intense needs are there and such chaos, um, it's like a constant emergency. And because of that, if your boundaries aren't maybe as tight as they need to be, you begin to expend energy and take energy from other places like your family and prioritize helping this person. Ministry to the deeply wounded is a team ministry. We have a R&R program that we ran for years. And what we found is it was helpful to have four or five team members that were gifted in different ways. And we went through each of them and looked at the spiritual gifts that would be needed for those people to interact and become part of a team. For example, there were grandparents so that grandpa could give someone a hug in church without the hug from the the, um, youth pastor who maybe was the same age or also there were needs for vacation times Thanksgiving for example usually grandparents had empty places at their table because their kids were across the country another one would be a teacher but a teacher with specific needs we have a R&R complete guide that explains the role of each part of the team. So that might be helpful to go into detail about. Yeah, I don't mean to waylay you on that one. So let's pick that up though um, soon because I think digging into that further is important. And I also think it dovetails into the idea of church because it's not just, uh, hey, client, you should go to church on Sunday mornings. It's actually, you're talking about the body of Christ is what you're describing here and all of the different 
people and um, their giftings and how that can become part of the ministry and opportunity for someone hurting to find more healing from the body of Christ in the church setting. So with this idea of church, I'm just wondering about what might happen when one of the counselors listening to our podcasts brings up the idea of church with a client as they're sitting in the office together. I have, my imagination says that that might not always be a welcome idea or suggestion for a client to, if they haven't been going to church and the counselor says, hey, what about this? Um, Tell us, let's talk about that part first, kind of that fear or the feelings that might come with that. I think that that discussion about the church needs to include several things. When we had a group of 30 very wounded women, many of whom had DID in our classes, they came to us in September, but it was really in December that they finally began to trust us. And the reason I felt that that was true was that they had all 100% had ex- negative church experiences. The church was overwhelmed with them. They didn't understand. They didn't know what to do. The bizarre behavior was off-putting. And so there was that one uh, issue. There were, were other barriers as well. And I think fear of being in groups is one thing that we overlook. There's many things in church that can be triggers. If the choir wears black robes, that's a could be a problem. Depending on what kind of a church you go to, if the pastor has all black and then has a white collar, that could be a problem. Or taking communion as you pass the body and blood of Jesus Christ, uh, that can really be frightful. So I think that dealing with some of the barriers that the person might have should be included in that discussion. And then the counselor might need some help in understanding how would you proceed or what suggestions would be there to to ease the way into seeing the person in the church community, a loving community, a safe community, and that there is a sense of support and a sense of understanding that is really invaluable. I don't think you can find that anywhere else. I agree with you. Um, I've heard it said that sometimes our greatest hurts can happen at church, but also our greatest healing. God's so redemptive in that space. I'm going to pause the thought process and go back to something you said a minute ago, because it was new information for me. And I'm thinking others might feel the same. You alluded to the idea that perhaps robes or even communion might be a challenge. When I first heard you say that, I honestly thought, well, why? And that's because I didn't understand as much as I do now about someone that has healed from satanic ritual abuse specifically. So can you just take a moment and give us all a bit more insight on kind of how that specifically plays out? Mm -hmm. People who have been ritually abused or had satanic ritual abuse, they know that Satan has counterfeited the Christian church rites like baptism and other things and has presented a a counterfeit. For example, communion. There is a satanic communion. So when communion is mentioned, 
the confusion, the dual response is, okay, I'm sitting here, I'm safe, nobody's hurting me, but my mind is going mile a minute. And whether it's that, say, the satanic uh, people often will dress in black, mm -hmm. they often imitate, portray crucifixions and other hideous things. Mm -hmm. And so the person is... It's lucky that the person is even sitting there. I had one pastor, he was kind of miffed at the wounded person. He said to me, yeah, but you know, she's in church, but she, she doesn't take communion. I mean, what's wrong with that? She needs to take communion. And I said, well, you should be very glad she's even there. Yes, and I think we needed to hear that. I think we need to understand um, that piece of it. So if I have a client or a friend that goes to, um, she has the courage to go to church or she's talking about that in the office, but these um, ideas of some of the communion, let's just stay with that one, um, do feel overwhelming. How can we help her move to the other side of that? Well, I think there's a truth, not only when it is referencing the church and the role of the church, but in general, if you put the power of choice in the hands of the wounded person, you'll have a lot less problems. What I mean by that is all their life, their choice didn't matter. They didn't want this to happen, it happened. They wanted that to happen and it never did. And so their choice is sort of paralyzed in a sense. They, they have the concept that it doesn't matter what I want because things are going to happen anyway. So if you can leave the power of choice in their hands, for example, in the church context, by saying, well, why don't you sit in the back row? And if it seems to be getting too much for you, you can just always get up and leave. So, and we keep referring that in. If it's too much, you can get up and leave. Another thing, of course, is if they're sitting with a friend who understands, that can be real vital in giving courage to the person. I feel like that can go a long way, that friendship piece. Um, even when they are deciding where to go to church or just that whole idea of it's hard to sit alone, um, it's hard to go somewhere new. I'm an introvert. I don't really like doing that. And um, I don't have that specific pain in my background. Let's talk about that piece, like the one-on-one -on -one relationship as well as even like the size of the church. Can that be a, can that feel kind of scary? Like I go to a pretty big church. So does that need to be considered? I really think it should because, you know, I go to a huge mega church, but um, if someone is just starting out at church, perhaps in our day and age, even going online, say that there's a, well, whatever church A, B or C, they can watch and encourage them to watch and study that and see if the people look safe, see if the pastor looks safe. And then it, the, the optimum is if there is a friend that can go with them, it just helps so much. And if the church is a huge church, like we were saying, um, often a big church is not something that they need to totally avoid especially if they have a friend with them, but what they're comfortable with. And the friend really needs to have understanding and also strategies of how to help.
For example, if communion starts to pass and the person gets all jittery and it's in danger of putting it on the floor or something, okay, what could the helper do to step in? Um, so even the specifics are of understanding, I think, need to be in place with the helpers. That's great. So that's a part of the conversation and strategy in the, in the counseling office is the church itself. Um, and then who might be in your life or who could you bring alongside that could walk with you into church and go through those steps together? What do you think about church, like Sunday morning service versus a women's Bible study? Is one a better starting place than the other? Or what are your thoughts on that? I would avoid the women's Bible study, partly because what happens is they usually have tables and often the tables are around tables. And so you're looking and staring at somebody across from you. And often they'll say, well, write down your thoughts and feelings on this. And the sense of invasion of privacy by the hurting people, they don't want other people to see. I've, we've had classes where the person would cup both hands over what she was writing so that people wouldn't see so the round tables can often be problematic. Um, the other thing is, it's a wonderful thing to have a small group that has such community within itself that everybody knows everybody, everybody loves each other, they've been with each other. But to introduce a new person, I won't call it a clique, but it's similar where everybody knows here and they've got this history behind them. And here comes a new person, and they can really sense the initial response of the people is probably appropriate. You know, what's your name? You know, whatever else they ask. But then they kind of go and talk to the people that they know well. So that can be a problem. When we talk about um, the size of the church, I think that's the real emphasis. I think I may have used the example before, but I had a friend who was very suicidal for years, actually. And there was always a crisis related to that. Well, I convinced her to go to the Christmas tea at the church. And she had never been to this church, but she was, you know, bold and gung-ho. Okay, I'm going to go to this church. Well, she had, as I said, been wrestling in with suicide, and her world was full of chaos and desperateness. And when she got there, it was totally appropriate for the, the other women at the tea. Their, their topic was how to set a nice table. Mm -hmm. And for my friend, the disjunct between her life issues and the specific making the nice table that was fine for all these people but for her it, it just didn't make sense at all so she left and she's never been back you know never been to a church since then so I think that we need to think through okay what are they studying or what are they doing we went to a, a Christian a Christian comedian concert at a church a couple months ago Maybe something like that, where the emphasis isn't the emphasis is, is on one person, the comedian, and they can be in the background. Nobody 
might not even know them. The other thing is we've tried to give strategies for the wounded person to know how to interface with uh, the other ladies, let's say. And we've given them encouragement to think of three sentences about their life, about their past, because you don't want it as happened in a church nearby here where somebody said, Sue came up and said, hi, I'm Sue. I'm a sexual abuse, you know, victim. Mm -hmm. That was her first sentence. Mm -hmm. There's not sometimes the knowledge of how do you talk about your background when it's so full of hideousness. So we encourage them. Like in my case, people have come up, well, is, do you have family in the area? And, and so, no, I don't see my family that much. Mm -hmm. and, and, well, can you tell me about yourself? Well, I grew up on a farm. I really enjoyed that. So there's one or two sentences we prep them with that they can use when the questions come and they are like a deer in the headlights because they don't know what to say or they say things that are too overwhelming. And that's the end of that relationship. So I'm hearing you say, create opportunities for them to be an observer almost, like the comedian and, or sitting in the back, or even I loved your idea of starting out online. You can get a lot of a sense of a pastor's personality, the church's theology, what type of music. Um, I thought that was so great. And then when they do step through the doors, equipping someone, like you said, with those conversation starters and ideas that keep things in a in a safe and healthy place, both for the person sharing as well as for those around them. So it's just these really um, lovely baby steps, if you will, of kind of entering into that space and having friendships. Um, I know that you've mentioned before the idea that sometimes a pastor can be the first kind of safe male figure that um, someone has encountered, which is a good thing, but that can also create a bit of challenge. What can you offer in that? Often the pastor is very caring and it tries to interface with the person. But there's this, if you've had a father that has been brutal, you see the contrast in this pastor. He's so kind. He has kind eyes. And occasionally he gives hugs, you know. Um, and so the this desire, this immature desire to have him be their daddy goes through their mind. And so that can be, if the pastor doesn't have his boundaries in a good place, that can be a complication that you can't really address ahead of time, but just be on the lookout for with your friend. Absolutely. And if it's a counselor that's listening to this podcast, I'm sure that it's that same concept even in the counseling office. So I think that might be something they would be familiar with, but I'm aware of to bring into a church conversation and context as well. Right. When you mentioned that it's about bringing a friend would be so good, you can bring other friends that aren't people. And I often had these little bears that were about an inch tall. And uh, for a hurting person, something like that, they can stick in their pocket. And as they feel it during the service, it can tend to calm them. 
and it makes it, it it makes it almost like they have somebody with them. So something like that that they can bring that is a comfort to them. I know one lady, the church was very gracious. She would bring a stuffed rabbit to church every Sunday, and they were fine with it. They just would talk around it. Um, another thing, another strategy is if the client is just concerned and is sure that people are going to say stupid things like they did in the last church, what I encourage them to do is to say, make it almost a game, say, why don't you listen and, and think and remember the three most stupid things that somebody said. And again, the power is with them and the choice is with them. So they've come back to me and say, oh, that lady, she just said, you know, something or other. And so that can be helpful as to set up ahead of time or just one, the most stupid thing that happened. And it might be, well, that lady in the aisle didn't smile at me. You know, she should have smiled at me. And so it precludes sometimes issues that could flare up and be more of a problem. I can see that. And to almost be on the lookout and the offensive so that when those things happen, they, they happen to all of us at church. And we can, most of us maybe just see it as a bit of a bump in the road. But if, it, if you're already feeling so vulnerable and taking it's taking so much for you to even walk in the door mm -hmm. that that turns from a road bump into a wall, right? Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, I'm never coming back. But if they're going, realizing there's a lot of crazy humans in this mm -hmm. um, place with me and being on the lookout for them, it turns something that could be um, an ending into a passage that they can make it through. Yes, definitely. And I think that... Uh downloading of information of what happened can be brought to the counselor's office so that it's acknowledged and it's not explained away like why the lady didn't smile at you but it's like oh that must have that must have made you how that make you feel anyway that's a great idea so then there can be a follow-up conversation after that sunday at church and kind of talk through those things that came up um, this has been wonderful information, as always, and we're so grateful. I think that crossing into the church conversation is a good um, a good challenge, and you've allowed counselors some great tools to use as they're going to do that. Any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? I don't think so. I think I said them all that I knew of. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you as always. And thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you again soon. You can visit our website for resources at www.lydiadm.org.